Isaiah 54. So we've just finished the four servant songs. All about the work of the suffering servant who Jesus identifies when he begins his ministry in Luke 4 with himself. He takes up Isaiah, those scrolls, and reads them and says, that's me. And now we're just on the other side of 53, which is the most famous one. And so everything in this chapter is assuming the work of the suffering servant that happened in chapter 52 and 53, that we know so well, these, these words, right? We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us our own way. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Those are all prophetic utterances about Jesus. 54 then starts with, just after the servant's death, Sing, O barren one. Break forth in singing. And then it ends with, this is the heritage of the Lord and their vindication from me. So God now is speaking to the redeemed ones who might still approach Him in their shame. For the Jew, because of their history of abandoning their covenant God, which he calls like a wife abandoning her husband, And for the Gentile, for not really believing that the suffering servant, Jesus, did enough to bring us into the tent. You say, okay, Rusty, but when I read chapter 54, there is so much that seems to be about Israel being restored to the land after the exile in Babylon, which is what's going on we've been talking about. Well, yes, that's right. You read it well. Prophecy is full of what we call the already and the not yet. He is certainly speaking to that generation, yet it is fulfilled in what's to come in in the Messiah. So Isaiah can speak to one generation, yet his promises are fulfilled in the work of the Messiah. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Paul in the New Testament speaks to us and quotes this as being fulfilled. In Galatians 4, Paul quotes verse 1 here. The first verse after the prophecy of the suffering servant and says, Christ is now setting us free. So my friends, I want to ask you, has the gospel of grace set you free from shame? Which is what this chapter is about. From a disgraced past, from the reproach of others that has come to you, by association. For the believer, shame is an intruder that must be dispatched out of your heart and out of your life by the work of the gospel and of Christ. So let's read chapter 54 and we'll go 1 to 10. Isaiah 54. Single barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations. 
and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you says the Lord your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Verse 10. For the mountains may depart, the hills be removed, my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for compassion on those who run and hide with shame. Father, shame tells us to stay away from relationships. Shame tells us to stay away from you. To keep a real pretty external veneer, but yet the shame of our life and our associations and the things we've done, keep it hidden. Lord, I thank You for the freedom that if Christ has set us free, we're truly free. That He carried the shame on the cross. Now God, let the Holy Spirit, we pray, work in our hearts that we might be shameless because of our belief. Father, let the Holy Spirit now replace shame with the peace of the Gospel that You promised us in John 14. God, let us see and behold the glory of Christ and what He accomplished on the cross and through His resurrection for us to destroy shame and bring us close to You. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I speak about shame, most of you think immediately, oh, He's not talking to me. Thank the Lord. I don't have anything I'm ashamed about. I've got a nice house. I've got a nice job. My children are well-behaved. I've got a well-behaved I was going to say husband, but that didn't work. But my friends, your shame is much more than that. Now, I'm taking a lot of what I say from Ed Welch, the Christian counselor. Ed Welch defines shame as the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did. First, something done to you. Second, or some type of association that you have. Third, Shame takes us to the courtroom where you stand alone before God, a judge, and says to you, you don't belong. You're unacceptable. You're unclean and you're a disgrace because you've sinned. Because you've let that person do that to you, that thing, whatever it might be. Or because you're connected to that person or that place. Shame is a powerful motivator in your life. I promise you. Imagine a 12-year-old boy. He's smaller and he's less athletic than his peers. 
He's waiting to be picked for the baseball team. Two of the more honored boys, the bigger kids, their captains, they select all the teams from all the eager participants. Everybody's there. The two go back and forth. You can see it, can't you? Choosing the best athletes, the best players, their best friends. And as players are chosen, they walk to their teams. And the pool gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And with each pick, the remaining boys become increasingly self-conscious and embarrassed. Shame, however, is reserved for the last boy standing who isn't picked at all. Slowly, head down, he walks over to the side that's stuck with him. The opposing team laughs. (laughs) Glad we don't have him. (laughs) As if they've become contaminated, the other team with this boy. His shame has become contagious. His whole team feels it now. And when the team loses, this boy is their scapegoat. No wonder we lost. We had Richie. And for a girl, usually it's not sports. Often it is, but maybe a school dance where she's not asked. Or not asked to dance. My friends, at one point in your life, you can probably relate to the feelings of shame. Isaiah 54, God says to you, don't be afraid, for you will not be ashamed. You will not be disgraced. You will forget the shame and disgrace of your youth. He identifies our shame. He experienced our shame and our suffering on the cross. He carried our shame to the cross, finished with it, and rose again to separate it from His people. Now, my question is, how do I and how do you identify shame in your life? Ask yourself this, because maybe you were a great athlete and you were first picked. (laughs) How do you try to hide? How do you try to hide? What things in your life are you hiding because they make you feel unclean or disgraced? But shame comes not just from our sin, but often misplaced on us through what's happened to us. Shame comes to the victim as well as the perpetrator. So my second question is, what has happened to you that you are fearful that others are going to find out about? Something in your past that you hide from view. Maybe a sexual violation. Unfaithful spouse. Maybe being fired or laid off at work. Maybe adding weight because of a sickness. Or maybe you filed bankruptcy and you feel ashamed. My last question is, what association do you have that you have given, that have given you feelings of shame? That you hide? Family members that committed suicide. A last name associated with immorality in our community. When you receive such shame from your past or ongoing sins, or how you can, are associated with something, It is very easy to believe that God joins those voices of condemnation and shame. So here's the main idea today. The gospel of peace dispatches shame in your life. Now I know we have some Baptist brothers here, so maybe you guys can just lead us in saying, Amen. 
Yes, the gospel of peace dispatches shame in our lives. Okay? So let's dive into that. Let's dive into that. Verses 1 to 3. And then I'm also going to read 51.2, which is a compilation. Verses 1 to 3. Single barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Verse 3. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Now turn with me to chapter 51. Chapter 51, verse 2. Now that's right before the servant song. Okay? And he says something almost exactly the same. And what I want you to see is we have some bookends here. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he is not, he, is, he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. Okay, now go back to chapter 54. Listen. Before he speaks of the suffering servant, Jesus, in chapter 51, he calls them to remember the covenant that God made with Abraham. Immediately after he told us the death and acceptance of the suffering servant, He brings us back right here to Abraham. The barren woman, the tent, the descendants possessing the nations tell of the covenant of grace that was completed and fulfilled by the suffering servant Jesus. So look at verse 1. O barren one, who did not bear, who have not been in labor. So God's people had been spiritually barren, but their ungodliness is no more of an obstacle to God's faithfulness than Sarah's unbarrenness as Abraham's wife to the promises that God had made to Abraham, those covenant promises. Abraham's wife was barren, and that was no obstacle to God. And so he is calling God's people to break forth in song like a barren woman who does not labor, yet has many children. And he's saying, I have rescued you through the suffering servant, through Christ, not from your works, your efforts, your obedience, because I am faithful to my people. So cry forth with praise. Now verse 5. Look with me in verse 5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off. In other words, I made you as a nation at Mount Sinai with Moses when I gave you the law. I wed you with a covenant to be my people and my wife. I promised to care for you. You promised to obey me. And now I have redeemed you out of your unfaithfulness. Even though you've been cast off in unfaithfulness, I, God says, am faithful to my promises. Made all the way back to Abraham. Okay? But those original promises to Abraham were that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. 
Remember Genesis 15. God said, look at the stars, Abraham, and so shall your offspring be. Now verse 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent. Same thought. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out, for you will be spread out to the right and to your left. So God is saying to them, literally, take your tent stakes, pick them up, and move them. (laughs) Take those cords which hold up your tent and move them bigger and longer and wider. And what He's promising is the kingdom of God is going to grow. And the nations themselves will come in. So the promise was given to Abraham, and Isaiah says, the suffering servant will die for the sins of many. Now prepare yourself for the kingdom of God to grow far beyond just you, Jews, or Judah. But your children will possess the nations. Now in one sense, this happened when Israel returned home from Babylon. They repopulated Jerusalem and Judah, if you know the story. But this is a promise that the nations will enter the tents of God and be saved. And the early church took it that way. How do you know that? Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. When the early church was debating, should the, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised? Or is God's grace enough for them? James reads... Amos 9.12. I want to read that to you. Listen. After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that is falling. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Does that sound familiar? It's almost exactly Isaiah 54, 1-3 which is a parallel verse. And so when they're determining, hey, do the Gentiles, early church in Acts 15, do they have to be circumcised? He goes here to this promise and says, no, God has promised that the tent of salvation is going to be bigger. They are going to be saved by grace, through faith in the work of the Messiah. Okay? Now what about a woman who has deserted her family or husband to prostitute herself out? How does she feel? How does she feel when He comes for her and all of her dirt? Well, she feels shame and she feels disgrace. Verse 4 and verse 9. Look in your Bibles with me. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Verse 9. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah would no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Notice the commands. Don't be ashamed. Don't be confounded. You won't be disgraced. Forget the shame of your past. Forget the reproach of disobedience to me. Remember these things no more. And then he goes on and he uses Noah as an illustration. This is like the days of Noah. Why Noah? 
How so? Connect that for me. Help that make sense. Well, in the same way Noah's family came out of the boat with a promise that his wrath would never come on the world again as a flood. So yes, God would restore the Jews from Babylon, exiles here, but it is through the work of the suffering servant, the Messiah Christ, that the wrath of God will never be experienced by His people again. It is finished. He took it all. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned each into our own way and God has laid upon Him the sins of us all. So in the same way the world will never experience a flood of judgment again, so God's people will never experience a flood of wrath for their sins. So don't be ashamed. Don't be confounded, disgraced by the sins of your past. God's servant Jesus took those on the cross. Believe the good news and remember these things no more. Okay, let's finish with this thought. How serious is this promise to such amazing forgiveness and redemption? How great is this promise? Verse 10. Verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Now remember... Isaiah has given us four servant songs. In the very first one, chapter 42, he says this, I will give you, suffering servant, as a covenant to the people. In other words, the work of this suffering servant, Jesus, will be the grounds of God bringing people into salvation. Now, just after he's told us about the suffering servant, tells us of his death, he gives another covenant promise right here. My steadfast love will not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall never be removed. The mountains may depart, the hills removed, but my covenant will never fail. The covenant that the suffering servant accomplished when I gave him to you, his death and resurrection, for all those who believe, will never fail. Now, remember, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable to God because of something you did, something done to you, or an association that you might have. And for Judah, God's people, they had every reason to be ashamed, didn't they? Because of their great sins for generation and generation. Because of their association with the Gentiles. And because of them losing the battle and being they're lived as slaves in Babylon for generations. They would have every reason to hide with shame and disgrace. Yet God says, my steadfast love shall not depart from you through the suffering servant. Remember your shame no more. Genezru says, he used to cry when he heard laughing outside of his house. In 1945, he was so fearful of punishment for being pro-Nazi during World War II that he went into hiding in his sister's farm. For 32 years, he lived in fear, hiding himself from everyone and everything. Finally, after being discovered, he reported that he 
never left the house. He spent all his days in fear, looking down the road at the village to see if anybody was coming. Now, I'm sure that he loved life and wanted to be free, but because of fear and shame, he spent his life hidden. My friends, do you hide because of the guilt of your past sins? Or because of something that has happened to you? Or because of a disgraceful association that you might have? Do you hide from God and from people next? Or do you know that if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed? You see, Scripture is about shame from start to finish. In Genesis 2, the man and his wife were both naked and they were unashamed. Shame is not natural in your life. It is an intruder into our hearts. And God sent His Son not just to forgive you, but to dispatch your shame, to carry it and to remove it. So when Christ died for your sins on the cross, He carried your shame. And by true repentance and true faith, yes, we are saved. We are brought into the covenant of peace with God and are commanded to sing and worship because our shame is gone. Now, shame is stubborn. It does not leave easily. It is an alien intruder that refuses to leave on first command. So when shame comes to you and says, hide, don't go to worship this morning. Fine, go, go to work. Go, go come up with an excuse. Don't tell your wife or your husband what's really going on and keep what happened to you hidden. When shame tells you those things, believe the Gospel. That Christ carried your reproach and to believe means to live like another took your disgrace and reproach. And lastly, close here. Cry out to the Holy Spirit to fill the void that shame leaves with the peace of the Gospel that surpasses understanding. So that every time shame comes to you and says, hide! Repent of your sins. Believe the Gospel. The suffering servant carried your shame on the cross. Cry out to the Holy Spirit for fresh victory and to give you the peace which Christ promised. It truly is only the Gospel that will dismantle the shame that has been your constant companion for so many years and free you to sing and to worship because of the work of the servant rather than to hide in the shame that He died for. Father, I just praise You so much for our Savior. God, our sin makes an eternal distance between us and God, and that makes us feel ashamed. Distance brings shame. And Jesus brought us close. So close that He dwells in us. He's taken our shame. You've taken our shame, God, in such a way that You're able to dwell in us. Help us to believe and live out the gospel truth that if God, the holiest of holies, can dwell now in me, then I should never feel ashamed 
for my sin of the past or for what's happened to me or an association. God, help us to have the grace and strength to continuously cast those things upon You and Your mighty shoulders. Let us walk in Christian freedom to proclaim and worship You, God, and let the Holy Spirit give peace to guard our hearts and our minds. May Jesus receive the glory. In His name we pray. Amen.